0: Our Father, we come to your word and we pray, Lord, that you would instruct us from it, that you would help us, that you would minister to us, that you would equip us, that you would edify us. Lord, we confess our need to you and ask that you would meet it. Meet it for Christ's sake. Meet it so that we might be further built up in Him to be useful in ministry for you. We ask it humbly, knowing that it is in accord with your desire for us, and we pray in his name, amen. Amen. We're in the fourth chapter of Ephesians, specifically verses 13 and 14 this morning. But before we get involved in those verses, I want to skip ahead just a bit and read from verses 17 through 24. These are verses we'll get to in time. But I think understanding verses 13 and 14 in this larger context will be helpful. So in verse 17, Paul says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him As the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The verses that we've been looking at in the middle of chapter 4 tell us of our equipping, of our edification, and really show us our great need continually to come before the living Word of God and have it work its effects on us. The Scripture declares of itself that it is living, it is active. Paul wrote to the Thessalonian church giving glory to God, that the Word of God was effectively working in them. It was accomplishing its purposes in them. The Scripture tells us that the Word of God never goes forth with an intended purpose that it does not eventually accomplish. We're given illustration as the rain descends from heaven and falls upon the earth and renews and replenishes it, so the Word of God falling upon the heart of a believer effectively works. I skipped ahead and read these verses this morning to show us the larger context and why we need such equipping and edifying. But now having looked forward, let's look backward just a bit to the beginning of the second chapter. And before I read it, I just want to say this. What we have been delivered from as Christians what we have been delivered from or out of, what we have been rescued from by our God and Father in heaven, still exists. What we read in the second chapter, that there are those who are dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we are all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and by nature were children of wrath, just as the others. This is a reality that still exists. Not to negate the fact that we've been rescued out of it, and that gives all glory to Christ for coming to us in this condition, and bringing us out of that condition, the Father through the work of the Son, applied by the Spirit, conveying us from darkness to light. But this is still very much a reality. We're going to see it more keenly at the end of Ephesians in chapter 6, where Paul writes of this real yet unseen realm of spiritual warfare. Not only does this exist, the old man who was a friend to all of this. The old man still exists in us, that old man that felt so at home and so comfortable there in those first few verses of chapter 2. Rejoicing in iniquity, walking according to the, to the, his flesh, his lust, that old man still resides in each one of you and me as a believer. It's called remaining sin. And it gives reason for the hope that we have that one day we will be removed from even the presence of remaining sin in us. But still, Christians, as Christians, we live in this world system. Obviously, we're told in the scriptures we're exhorted not to be of the world, not to let it define our values and our desires, But nonetheless, we cannot remove ourselves from being in the presence of the world. So to go back to this second chapter, we are immersed every day amongst this sphere of people who remain dead in sin, who are the objects of our evangelism, the objects of our mercy, the objects of our compassion, but yet we realize that the prince of the power of the air that is for now holding them captive is still very much a lion on the prowl, seeking whom he may devour. And if he can bring you, Christian, to the point of a fall, if he can so manifest himself in your life through temptation, through desire, through the lust of your flesh, through the desires of your mind, then the cause of Christ and the kingdom of Christ suffers. So with all of these realities in play, the fact that here we are as new creatures, having been called out of the world, having been given a new heart, having been regenerated by the Spirit of God, having been given new desires, we come together on the Lord's Day. We seek to edify one another. We seek to be equipped by the Word. All of this to give the praise to Christ and helping us to go back into the reality of the world to live in a way that honors Christ and to live in a way that our own sanctification and growth in the Spirit is not hindered. I suspect that you feel in your own experience the tension of these things. I suspect that you feel keenly the struggle that is taking place in your own heart and in your own mind of the Spirit of God within you struggling against those worldly, fleshly appetites that war against the soul. Well, what we're reading and studying here in the fourth chapter is part of what the Word of God presents to us as a great help, a necessary help to the believer, to the Christian, who realizes and senses this great struggle within them. Let's read verse 13 and 14 in its, in its context, in its paragraph. So let's go back to verse 11, which rests upon the foundation of Christ giving gifts according to His own measure, gifts of grace. Verse 11, He gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. For what reason? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. We looked at that beginning last week. And for the edifying of the body of Christ. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, or the ESV reads there, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. So these two things I want to bring out even more today, Lord helping us the equipping of the saints and the edifying of the body of Christ let me point out some obvious things sometimes the obvious things are the things that skip by skip by us saints the word means the holy ones of god the set apart ones of god the saints are the ones to whom this epistle is addressed saints For all that they are, all that they have been created in Christ, still stand in need of being equipped. And the body of Christ, which is made up of the individual saints. The body of Christ, enjoying all the benefits of Christ's righteousness, having been applied to them in justification, still need, still stand in need of being edified. So we take both of these things. The saints have not been as equipped as they need to be yet, nor has the body of Christ been fully edified. Both of these things come to us in, in words and in terms of these things need to continually happen. The saints do not just need to be equipped once or twice or three times. The saints need to be continually over and over and over equipped the body of christ does not just need to be edified once or twice the body of christ needs to be continually endlessly edified and if you'll remember we looked at these offices if we can call them that in verse 11 the offices of the apostles the prophets the evangelists and the pastor teacher my own estimation And own opinion you can take it for what it is is that the pastor and teacher is the only one of these offices still in play I think the evangelist speaks to the uh, the New Testament evangelist such as Philip not the work of an evangelist that all of us are called to we've talked about that all of these have something in common what they have in common is the ministry of the word the Lord Jesus gifted the apostles to write the word. Having been eyewitnesses of his resurrection, the Lord Jesus gifted some as prophets to directly speak in the New Testament era under his immediate inspiration. The Lord Jesus gifted some in this area of evangelism like Philip to be powerfully used of him. And now we get down to this last group, the pastor-teacher one office with a dual function, all of these have in common, the ministry of the Word. So in this reality of a Christian living in a world that is still ruled by the prince of the power of the air, where he remains the adversary, where he remains the accuser of the brethren, where he remains the lion that would trip you up at every turn to bring dishonor and glory to Christ. Please understand, does Satan want your ruin? Yes, but more so than that, he wants the cause of Christ in you to be destroyed or marred. Just realize that. He is after the destruction of the beauty and the cause of Christ. And if he can trip you up or me up and make us fall and stumble and bring disgrace upon the name of Christ, then that is his business. That is his work. He is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. So all of these things being so, these realities being what they are, I want you to notice something and and as I was reading this this week, obviously been reading it for weeks and I've read it for years prior. Perhaps what is perhaps what you realized long ago, I just realized this week that the Lord Jesus Christ is gifting himself to his church repeatedly through the ministry of the word as carried out by these offices in verse 11. What is it that we need repetitively over and over and over again not to faint in the task of living in the way that verses 17 through 22 call us to live? Again, Paul said, You have not so learned Christ if indeed you have heard Him and been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off the old man. What is equipping us to do this day after day, week after week? It's the Word as ministered by those that, the church, that Christ has gifted to His church. Again, Christ is gifting His church with Himself through the ministry of the Word. He is the Word Himself. We stand in great need, and notice how liberally Christ dispenses the gift of the Word. He is not a begrudging giver. We looked last week at the equipping of the saints. I'll just remind you of a few things before we move on. The word equipping here means to be completely furnished. It's used medically in Paul's day to refer to the setting of a broken bone. And if we use it figuratively, as applied to the saints, living in this reality of the tension of the flesh and the spirit, The Word of God continually over and over again completely furnishes the people of God to be the people of God. And if you want to look at it even more figuratively, the Word of God sets the broken bones that the people of God have received in the world through the week. It puts us back together. I said last week that this word was used in Matthew's Gospel to refer to James and John who were mending their nets. They were equipping their nets for the next morning's fishing. Applied figuratively again, the Word of God, as ministered by the Spirit of Christ, is equipping or mending the nets of the saints that have been ravaged throughout the week by the worldliness of the world. We need this continual equipping for the work of ministry. Ministry is too hard to perform unequipped. Ministry will be left undone if we aren't set right, mended from all of the things that we have endured throughout a week. And that's not to say the only time the Word of God mends and sets right is in public preaching. I'm not saying that. You give yourselves to the Word at home through your reading and your study, and very often this ministry is performed to you. It sets you right. It sets your mind right. Much of this struggle of the flesh and the Spirit takes place right here in your mind. That's why the Scripture tells us our minds need to be renewed. We need need to begin to think God's thoughts after Him. And when we lay aside the, the means or the tool that the Lord uses to equip our minds and renew them, then we are giving ourselves over to the prey, to be prey, of the angel of light who disguises himself as such, Satan himself. So we move on from this equipping of the saints to secondly, this morning, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Again, the obvious. The body of Christ stands in need of continual, habitual edification. The word means to be built up, can be applied to the building up of a house. Brick by brick, stone by stone, the, the building up of a structure. This is the word that the Spirit of God has used to describe the ministry of the word in the corporate gathering of the body. The body of Christ is being edified. Because all week long, the things of the world seek to tear us down. We need this ministry of the word in our life we can think of it along two lines externally the body of Christ is built up through evangelism as more and more are brought into salvation in Christ and added to the number of the church externally the church is built up through this ministry of evangelism but really it's more the internal building up that is what is primary in the context of verse 12 and 13 the spiritual growth or the enabling of the body of Christ to do the work of ministry, to grow spiritually. I like what John MacArthur says about spiritual growth. He says, spiritual growth does not always involve learning something new. Most often, Our most important growth is in regard to truth we have already heard, but not yet fully applied. That's where the majority of Christians grow. If you've been a Christian for some time, generations perhaps, it's probably a rare occasion that something brand new is taught to you. Because the word is living and active, certainly that is a possibility. Certainly that is something we yearn for. But most often, those that have been Christians some time, your spiritual growth in mind comes in the realm or the sphere of being obedient to what we already know. This is the edifying of the body. And again, it implies the very opposite. Both of these imply the opposites. If the saints stand in need of equipping, mending, then the opposite effect is that the the world in opposition to the Word is at work, destroying. Since the body of Christ needs to be edified, the opposite is in the same realm is true. And now it's as if we can pause here and ask a question. The question could be phrased like this. How long? How long do the saints need to be equipped? How long does the body need to be edified? So to answer the question, I'll point you to the first word of verse 13. Till or until until this happens. Perhaps you had an experience such as as me several times in, in the years as growing up, being set to a task and asking the question either in your mind or if you were brave enough to verbalize it out loud, how long are we going to stay at this? And the answer would come until we're done. until we're finished. How long are we going to stay at this what was perceived to be a, a grueling, endless task until we're done. So let's apply that to this question of, how long do the saints need to be equipped? How long does the body need to be edified? The answer is until we are done. Done with what is the next question. So we have to keep reading verse 13. Until we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And so let's just take the last, because I think all of these three that come before it are really pointing to this last phrase. How long do the saints need to be equipped? How long does the body of Christ need to be edified? How long do we as individual Christians need to continually give ourselves to the church using the gifts that we have been given to equip and to edify one another? How long until... We get to this last phrase until we reach the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's how long. And then, if we have any sober mindedness at all, we'll realize that this is not going to happen fully in this life. So the answer to the question, how long? The answer is until Christ returns or until Christ calls you home and you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. This is how long. There is no, quote, early retirement from the Christian life. There is no point that you and I can attain to to say that now we're finished. The reason that I say that is because of of this last phrase, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You realize what we're saying if we say that we have reached this point of early retirement from Christianity and following Christ. What we're saying in essence is that we have reached the fullness of the measure of the stature of Jesus Christ. That's the intended goal. If you were to go to Romans chapter 8, verses that I think I've quoted from in recent weeks, but I don't know that we've actually gone there and read them. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 28, the verse that we know so well and quote so often. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. Then the 29th verse For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So conformity to the image of Jesus Christ is the end goal of the Father in redeeming anyone at all. And he uses the means of his church, more specifically the gifts that he gives to his church, to minister the word, to accomplish this very thing. So the image of the Son of God that we are to be conformed to, I think Paul is saying the same thing here when he says to the perfect man, the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But let's let's look at these individually, one by one. I think they are all aspects of what it means for the body of Christ to be edified and for the saints of God to be equipped. The first thing that Paul says is the unity of faith. If you'll go back up into the fifth verse of the same chapter, you'll notice that Paul says there, there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and so on. And now if you skip back down to verse 13, the first hallmark, if you will, of the body being edified is to reach the unity of the faith. And I think we should think of the faith here not as our individual belief but as the Christian doctrine concerning Christ and His gospel. So if we think of it along those lines it would be until all of the saints come to this unity of belief concerning Christ and all of the outworkings of His gospel. Again, John MacArthur defines it as the content of the gospel in its most complete form. And looking at it in this light really does a number on the old saying or the old belief that doctrine is divisive. When in truth, it is the doctrine concerning Christ, the body of faith, that unites believers. It's the disagreement over doctrine that is divisive. But the one true faith, as depicted in the fifth verse, there is one Lord, one faith, one body of doctrine, if you will, to believe about Christ and what Christ has done and the outworking of the gospel. It is this, that the saints continually need to be equipped and edified the body until we all, notice that, all come to the unity of the faith. Again, how long? Until Christ returns or he takes us out of this world through death. We are pursuing this with great help of the Spirit, this unification of the faith or this body of doctrine. And that's why the Word of God has to be central. Certainly, we would agree that the Word of God is not in error. It is not contradicting itself in any way that it is a unified whole given to us by a unified god who does all things decently and in order we have not been given a dispersed confused body of faith we have been given one and by the spirit we submit ourselves to its teaching Until, Paul says, we all come to the unity of the faith. Now let's keep it centered where it needs to be centered. That doesn't mean necessarily that we're all going to think the same way about what we might call third-tier issues. But what it does mean is primarily we're all going to think the same thing about where salvation is to be found in Christ alone. What we need to be saved from is our own sin. How are we saved? By the blood of Jesus Christ and His righteousness applied to us by faith. Those are doctrines that we cannot be in disagreement on. Those are things that we must not just agree on, we must rejoice in agreement. And that is how we are edified or built up individually and corporately is when we confess these things together until we all come to the unity of the faith. And then the second, the knowledge of the Son of God. Perhaps this is Paul's way of just reiterating himself, saying the same thing, but the knowledge that he speaks of here, the word that he uses is a full knowledge, not a partial knowledge, not just a bit of knowing something about Christ. But it's pressing in more and more and more and having the Spirit of God through the Word reveal more and more and more of Christ to you. Till we all come to the knowledge of the Son of God. To a perfect man. And and understand this rightly. It's not a perfectly sinless man. The word perfect here is better understood as a Mature man, a mature believer. And then the last, the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is what it means for the body to be edified, to be built up. And you can almost picture it in your mind as you read these great building blocks of doctrine and of faith being brought and placed one upon another, upon another, the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, mature manhood, and then finally to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the end goal of your Father in heaven in your salvation. Is that you would be conformed to the image of his Son, and that you would glory in it, and that it would be your heart's desire. But so far we've spoken of these things, or at least I have, in terms of where we might understand it as as our individual selves as Christians. Let me remind you, the context here is the body. And the church is unique in this sense. It is through a diversity of gifts given by the Savior that the church grows into a unified whole. Through a diversity of gifts given by the Savior too, Individuals who then use those gifts unto his glory, unto the edifying and the unity of the larger whole. And what results at the end of this, when we move from verse 13 into verse 14, and I think here is part of the definition of what it means to be a perfect or mature man, believer, once we have some degree of the measure of the stature of the fullness of christ is in verse 14 that we should no longer be children the word here is infants it's the same word that is used by the writer of hebrews to speak about those who by this point should be ready for the real meat of the scripture but yet you still need the milk Paul says here that we should no longer be as infants, as children, tossed to and fro. How often in, in Paul's writings does this imagery of being on a ship, tossed to and fro, come up? From Speaking from his own experience, no doubt knowing exactly what it me- has meant to be there tossed about. But yet he's painting this imagery of an immature believer being tossed one direction and then another direction with every wind of doctrine which is the exact opposite of the unity of the faith the unity of the faith being again that body of doctrine that speaks the truth or understands the truth concerning Christ and salvation well then we get down here to what is a mark of an immature believer it is one that is tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. This is why the church needs the edification that is brought on by the ministry of the Word. If we're ever really to come and rest upon the unified body of doctrine concerning Christ and not be tossed this way by some flamboyant, eloquent speaker and then tossed this way by another eloquent eloquent speaker, obviously, which I'm not, then we need this unity of faith, unity of doctrine. But yet, some live the entirety of their Christian lives right here in verse 14. Toss to and fro. Perhaps you've talked to people like this. You talk to them one time. They're all about this doctrine. Talk to them, and a few months later or a year later, perhaps they've done a 180 and it's something totally different just back and forth. And usually, not always, usually it corresponds to some... Usually it corresponds to whomever they're listening to. That's why it's imperative as believers, we study the Word for ourselves and then we submit ourselves, our minds, and our lives to those that preach the Scriptures. We live in a day that is unique. The Word of God is available to us on so many fronts. There are any number of ways and any number of teachers that we can submit ourselves to. So, the admonition and the warning is to be careful. To be careful. Be Berean. You remember the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. They didn't just take what they heard to be the absolute truth. They went and measured that by the Word. So these two things stand out to me as the two flagships, if you will, of the church reaching and attaining the goal set for it by God in Christ. And it is, in verse 12, the equipping, the mending, the setting right, the saints for the work of ministry, and the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all reach these hallmarks that Paul speaks of, and reach the point that we are no longer tossed to and fro. Let me close by reading the rest of this paragraph down through verse 16. We'll come back to this next week. Verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. This is the revealed will and plan of God for His church uniquely gifting believers according to the measure of christ's gift and then giving those believers to the church to edify itself in love every part doing its share god help us everyone to do our share in the edifying of the body Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the means of accomplishing these things in our life. Lord, we realize the need of our own equipping, our own mending, and being set aright. Father, we realize corporately as a body the need of our own edification our own building up. And we're thankful, Lord, that you in wisdom have gifted the church with the means to be able to edify itself in love. Lord, help each of us to joyfully use what you have given us for the body. Lord, help us not to grow weary in well-doing Help us for Christ's sake to strive after mature manhood, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We're thankful that he did not grow weary in our place. We're thankful that he endured to the end. So, Lord, we pray that you would give us grace, that you would be merciful to us, renew a steadfast heart within us. Father, we pray you would do it for the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ, and for the good of his church here, and for the salvation of those that are outside of Christ that you would equip us for the work of ministry and that you would build us up in the faith. We ask it in his name. Amen.